You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. from Gloucester Prez and this is the midweek prayer meeting roundup or uh, MIPRU possibly. Um, so we have started a series in our midweek studies on Paul's prayers in his epistles and I know there's quite a few people who can't make our midweeks at the moment uh, for various reasons so I thought I would record them or at least some of them to give folks a chance to uh, catch up. Um, with with this. So um, the plan is to be looking at Paul's prayers and that my reason for doing this is I figure if we can learn as a church uh, how to pray from God's word, if he can teach us how to pray, then we will be greatly blessed and everything will be fine. Uh, we will grow in Christ and all the rest of it. So um, so that is, is why I want to be studying prayer from the epistles of Paul. And we did one in Colossians, which I, I haven't recorded, but this is uh, most recently we've been in the book of Philippians. So what I want to do is just do a, a brief introduction to the letter of the Philippians, or first of all, an introduction to the city of Philippi. Um, it's very familiar to, to many of us, I'm, I'm sure, but a, a reminder for us. And then just look at the beginning of Paul's letter to the Philippians, the first 11 verses, and particularly how uh, his prayer in those verses. So the city of Philippi, we're in northeastern Greece, and it's on the ancient trade route which links Europe and Asia. So it goes from Rome through into to Asia, the Via Ignatia. And the city was founded in 356 BC by uh, a, a man called Philip, the Macedonian king Philip, thus Philippi. Uh, so he was the, the father of uh, Alexander the Great. And the city after the Battle of Philippi, which is by the Romans, who conquered in 42 BC, uh, became known, well, be, uh, became a, a sort of a mini Rome. It was colo colonised, and uh, this Roman colony, and they would... Um, have the the, the lead, legionnaires and various Roman notables retire there and Paul makes much of this uh, in his letter really when he he talks of the, the Philippian Christians having their citizenship in heaven uh, we're people with our town square in heaven and we await a saviour from there not from Rome and so in the city you can still see the remains at least of the old Greek city the walls and the gates and the theatre and the various Roman public buildings and then later uh, Christian basilicas which were were there um, and so you can, you can see all of that. Well Paul's mission to, to Philippi we can read about in Acts 16. Um, it's famous vision of the man of Macedonia and Paul gets the, the call to come over and, and help them and this is the first time Paul goes across into Europe. So he goes to the city, he finds a place of prayer. There's no, his normal pattern is to go to the synagogue, but there uh, weren't enough people for a synagogue. It would take 10 
households meant for to form a Jewish synagogue. But there is a, a place of prayer where people are gathered um, to pray. And uh, Lydia is among them. And we read of how she is converted. The Lord opens her heart to receive the message. And then she opens her home to receive uh, the messengers, Paul and, and Silas. And she and her household are baptised. And then later on, we, we read of the, the exorcism of the girl with the evil spirit. And the owners are upset and have Paul and Silas arrested. They're beaten um, without trial and, and put in prison. And whereupon uh, they're praying and there's an earthquake. The jailer is converted. The jailer and his household are baptised. Um, and eventually, um, well, the magistrates um, come and, and they ask them actually to leave the city quietly and uh, Paul gets an escort out and he, he goes and strengthens the, the, the Christians and then he, he goes on to, to Thessalonica uh, further on in, in Greece and so a church is founded this body of believers in the city of Philippi and so then he writes about 10 years later when he writes he's in in prison in Rome most likely it's is roughly 62 AD, AD sort of um, uh, a decade or so later and really he's calling them the Christians there in Philippi to stand firm in the gospel to be united in the gospel they're facing external pressure and, and difficulty and, and persecution is looming and this then is exposing internal division and, and there's stress and anxiety and arguments and there's um, well some prominent women of the church are butting heads um, and so although there are not major doctrinal issues like you find in uh, Paul addressing in, in the book of Galatians, for instance, we do find there is <clears throat> issues of well, selfishness and sin and anxiety and uh, these common problems in churches. And so he's writing really to encourage them to stand firm in the gospel. And he's demonstrating to them what it what it looks like to be a mature believer. And he's giving many examples, really, from his own life and his own attitude towards things. And he's calling them to, to imitate uh, his example. And so um, turning now to the, the first um, 11 verses, let me read these verses um, for us. So chapter one, verse one, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers, uh, that is uh, the bishops, and the deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And, and here's the prayer. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent 
and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. It's a remarkable um, opening really to the whole letter here um, and we're going to have a think about Paul's prayer here and his prayers and, and the content of his prayers. So he, for, for a start, he just he gives thanks for them. He gives thanks to God for them. And one of the most characteristic things of, of Paul's prayer is his just his thankfulness. Um, we see that at the end of the letter, he, he tells them, do not be anxious about anything, but but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. So he begins and ends the letter with thanksgiving. And it's very striking when you think of his situation. He's in Rome awaiting trial. And here he is expressing joy and thankfulness as he thinks about them. And so this, this just note of thankfulness is characteristic of, of what Paul teaches about prayer when he's teaching on, on prayer. So in, in 1 Timothy, when he, he urges people to pray, he says, first of all, then I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. And so it's just an important lesson and reminder for us as we pray about our lives, our family, our friends, about the church, about things in Gloucester, about uh, things um, in the civil government or whatever, actually just remembering um, to, be, to be thankful and to express our thanksgivings to God. Um, but what is it? What is it that he's particularly giving thanks for uh, as he's thinking about the, the Christians in Philippi? Well, you can see that there in in verse five, he's giving thanks for them because of their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And this is one of the kind of key words in the book of Philippians or key ideas, this idea of partnership or koinonia, this idea of having things in common. So to, to be in partnership means to share something in common, we actually find that the word used back in Luke chapter five, uh, verse nine, when it's talking about well, Simon Peter has been out fishing with James and John, and, and um, they're described as his partners with Simon. So this idea of partnership could be used of a of a business partnership. We share; they were sharing in the work, the risks, and, and the rewards. Um, but Paul, as we, we look at this letter, he's got this particularly close partnership in the, with the Christians in Philippi. Um, they prayed for each other. Um, they've shown hospitality to him. Uh, they've, they've, they've supported him as he's preached the gospel in, in various places. So at the end of the letter, chapter 415, we read that you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. And so uh, they've, they've prayed for him and they've supported him financially. They've sent Paphroditus to help him and he likewise has sent help to them and he's, he's concerned for them. So we see this uh, wonderful partnership that he has in the gospel. So in that respect, it's different from his letter to the uh, the church in Col Colossae, the C Colossians, he'd never met them. Um, so he's just heard a report and he's writing to them. But Philippians, he's got this close relationship uh, with them. And so he's 
He's just thankful for that um, and he's expressing that. Um, but he's particularly thankful because he, what he sees of just evidence that God is at work in them. Um, and so we see in verse 6, we see uh, his just great confidence that their, their partnership in the gospel really is, is an, a mark and evidence of the gracious work of God in their lives. So we, in verse 6, he, he says that, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion at the day of Christ. And these are just wonderfully encouraging words. Um, so we think of well, we think of how Lydia was converted. It says the Lord opened her heart. We see the sovereign work of God uh, opening a heart to receive the message. It was God who began the good work in those who had become Christians. And that's just great encouragement, I think, for us. So we sometimes start out, out on a good work and then as we get into the work it um, often it turns out to be more difficult than we thought it was going to be so uh, you might find that if you're uh, renovating a house or doing some decorating you set out on some good work and you take the wallpaper off and you discover then that the plaster comes off and, and actually that reveals that you need to sort out the electrics and there's a problem with the damp and you, you start out on this good work and then it's oh dear it's going to be uh, a lot more trouble to bring it to completion and and, and other works um you, you we start out on and sort of give them up i don't know if you perhaps had the experience of it's a saturday morning and you think you're going to uh, clear out the garage and so you open the garage door and you start to declutter and you sort out two or three items and then um, it's just too much and you think well i'll uh, tackle that another saturday and you close the <coughs> close the door again so um but the encouragement here is that it is God who began a good work in us and he will see it through to completion. He will complete it. He doesn't start out a work and give up halfway through. So we may look at our, our lives and our sin and our struggles and the various tangles we have or the situation in our families or our marriages. And we, we can get rather discouraged if, if, if we, we look at our Christian lives and, and, and at the different sin and different, different problems. But it's and the encouragement is that God knows what he's undertaken. He is the one who is doing this work of renovation, of sanctification. Uh, he is at work and he is not going to grow weary or tired. He will see through this work right up until the day of Christ Jesus. He will see it through to completion. He will complete uh, the work. And so just, just wonderful encouragement for us uh, that God is at work in us. Of course, that doesn't mean we don't have to work um paul says later to them you know work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is god who works in you to to, to do his will to his his good purpose so we he, we have to work these things out and, and pray and work and seek to grow in in holiness but the encouragement is that it is god himself the triune god who is at work uh, in us and that's really an encouragement for Paul as he thought about these believers in Philippi, that as he, he prayed for them, actually God was already at work in them. God had been at work and would continue that work. As we come now to, to his actual, his prayer, um, it starts out well that his prayer is that their love would abound uh, more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. 
think mainly he's thinking here of their love for one another. Uh, he's praying for their love to, to grow. Uh, so later on, he, he's highlighted some problems of in, in the church. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain, or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Um, and he, he then mentions Timothy as an example of someone who's shown practical love. He said, um, I hope to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I've no one else like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. So he's concerned that their, their love would, would grow, that they wouldn't be uh, turned in on themselves in, in selfishness um, and self-interest and vain conceit. Um, and I think, well, there is there's trouble in, in the church in, in as much as there's persecution and we can and, and difficulty arising and anxiety and we can often be turned in on ourselves when, when difficulties uh, arise. So he's praying that love would grow. Uh, but then this is connected with the next bit. So um, verse 9, he says, um, well, that their love would grow in, in knowledge and all discernment. And verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. So, so their love is to grow so that they may approve what is excellent. Well, what is what is he talking about there? Well, the word there is uh, usually translated to test or to uh, examine. It's the Greek word dokimatso, which has always got a nice ring to it. Um, and it was used to describe how uh, in the marketplace the authorities would come and they would examine coins to make sure that they weren't fake, that they weren't counterfeit. Um, and so they, they would come along and, and perhaps some of these, these coins are particularly shiny and polished, but actually uh, they're, they're tested and they're examined and they're found to be worthless. And perhaps some of the other coins look rather dull and, and are dirty, but actually they are of, uh, of, of value. So it's used for the testing coins and testing of precious metals to see uh, what is of true value and what is just shiny and rubbish. You might think of the something like the witch consumer report. You, know, you have first glance, you have all these wonderful microwave ovens and actually half of them are complete rubbish. Um, so uh, at first glance, um, it is not obvious what is best. It needs to be tested. So really he's praying that these Christians would be growing in discernment, that they'd be growing in discernment, that they'd be able to see what is best. And then this has fairly wide application um, in in um, well in our lives, but in, if you look through the rest of the the letter, there's various points at which Paul has used discernment and wisdom when he's thinking about his circumstance or, and different things to discern what is best. So, for example, he goes on to talk about his experience of imprisonment. He says, "You know, I want you to know uh, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel." So on the outside, it, it just looks dire and, and difficult. Uh, but look more closely and and God has used it for his own good purpose. So Paul is, is discerning what is best in his, his own life. Um, and actually, when he's talking about his impending trial, he's thinking about, well, would it be better to live or die? And he's he's weighing it up. So to die would be to be with Christ, which would be better by far. But to, to remain alive would mean he could continue to serve the church 
and work with them for their joy. So, so that is he's weighing these things up, and that latter option he he thinks will be therefore best, and that is then connected with his love and service of other people, his love and service of these these believers in um, in Philippi. Um, or later on, he, he speaks of his former life in Judaism and and talks about that. You know, whatever he had to his whatever was to his gain, he now counts as loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. So discerning what is best, the very heart of that is knowing Christ Jesus, being found in him, growing in the, the knowledge of God. That is, uh, to have that is better than all uh, reputation or status or wealth or, or anything else. And so he is um, figuring out what is uh, discerning what is best and even he, he speaks of their thought life he says um in chapter 4 verse 8 finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there is any excellence anything is worthy of praise think about these things so he's he's directing them to think about to discern and then to think about what is of true value uh, we are to uh, meditate and set our minds on the true, the good and the beautiful to orient our hearts and our loves towards these things. And so uh, so he's praying really that they, they grow in, in wisdom and understanding, uh, that their, their love for one another would, would abound, that they might then discern what is best. And also so that they be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Pure and blameless, either they don't fall into uh, path through their folly or, or just ignorance, fall into patterns of sin and impurity. Um, and be kept pure and blameless for the day of Christ. He's, he's praying and this whole prayer is in the light of the return of Christ. So we see this is just shaping his, his thinking as he's thinking about these believers. He's thinking about the work of God in them. Uh, until the day of Christ and then he's praying for them in the light of that great day that they would continue to grow as Christians and to develop in their knowledge of God. Verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Filled with the fruit of righteousness. So um, we are righteous in Christ, justified in Christ. Uh, we are also uh, God's workmanship created for good works and he's here speaking about those good works that were created to bear fruit as we remain in Christ and I think of I think of Psalm 1 um, blessed is the man he's like a tree planted by streams of water which bears its fruit in season so he's praying for these believers praying for their growth for their development for discernment uh, in these various ways knowing that God is at work in them well, what do we take away from this? What do we take away from Paul's prayer uh, for the Philippians? Well, the first thing we've, we've noted, to, noted, and we'll come back to this um, in our next study, is just um, thank the, the point of thanksgiving, really. And as we think about our own lives and our own situation, there's just many reasons to, to give thanks as we think about uh, what God is doing among us at church and how he's brought us together. Uh, we ought to be just marked by our thanksgiving. For this, for all that the Lord is doing amongst us and how he has both begun a good work and, and there's great signs of how he's continuing his good works in the lives of, of believers um, here in Gloucester. 
but also just this encouragement to, to pray really this prayer is a wonderful model of, of prayer for um for christians for believers and it's interesting that like most of the prayers in the new testament are for believers so some prayers in the new testament are for unbelievers typically that they would be saved but most of the prayers are for believers for i think as don carson puts it for going concerns um and so it's it's good prayer for us at, at different stages of our development in, in the Christian life. This is a, a good prayer for, for young believers like the Christians at, at Philippi, that their love would grow and, and that particularly uh, young believers would be given wisdom and discernment. How much our young people need these as, as they grow up and face all kinds of different choices. We need to be growing in, in, in wisdom and discernment uh, to see that which is most excellent um, and I think this this we, we were talking at the midweek how this relates to our um, consumption of, of culture really uh, that, that actually need to be setting our minds on that which is best you know there's a lot of rubbish on Netflix there's a lot of rubbish on YouTube and actually it's difficult as the culture is flooded with rubbish um, to we need to dig out and find that which is best and help our children feed on things which are true and good and beautiful and try and develop a, a cultural life as a church where we 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 um, feed on things which are true and good and beautiful and think about these things and uh, rejoice in them so uh, a prayer really though that that we would be um well prayer for for young believers i've, I've said um but actually at whatever stage we're at um some christians seem to at times to suffer from um or stagnation or arrested development and we see this prayer this is great vision for for growth and for development and that's something we can be praying for for one another um at, at church that we continue to to grow all through our, our lives uh, and christian life doesn't doesn't stop with retirement and um, we have to continue to grow and abound in good works as um, as god works in us and so we can be confident as, as we pray for each other and, and as we press on that the one who began a good work in us will see these things through to completion at the day of Christ. Um, OK, so that's what we that's what we had. We looked at that and this is a slightly expanded version of what we've <laughs> looked at uh, last night as I've had a chance to meditate on, on that and come back to it. And then next week, um, Lord willing, um, we will look at. Uh, his prayer at the end or his call for the believers to not to be anxious about anything but through prayer and supplication and everything to, to make our request known to God we'll be thinking uh, a bit about that well, thank you You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S dot co. <laughs>